be a light. What was it? Be a light. Listen, you got to be a witness to people, okay? If, if you can't live a life that's this, 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 just I'll do whatever I want to do and expect to win people to Jesus. We have to be a witness, and everywhere we go, everything we do, we are being a witness. And so, what I did was real quick, I went on y'all's Facebook page to a lot of y'all's Facebook pages, and I got pictures and posts that y'all have put up on Facebook. I've blurred out your face and I've blurred out whose it is, but when I show it, I want y'all to tell me: Is this being a light, or is this adding to the darkness? Okay. I'm going to start with some of you ladies. So some of you ladies, here's some things y'all been posting on Facebook. I'm just kidding. I am the funniest pastor in the world. That was so funny. I saw some of y'all squirming. Y'all were trying to delete stuff real quick on your phone. Like, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh if Loretta had Facebook oh my goodness what would this world come to okay so um, we're, <laughs> I want to say this too so last week we talked about um, sex outside of marriage we talked about obeying Jesus we talked about homosexuality and um, sex outside of marriage heterosexual and stuff like that and I wanted to say real quick because a lot of people have been contacting me and asking questions Regardless of how somebody is, if somebody's choosing to live in sin or they're choosing to displease God in an area and trying to justify it through the social world or the, the, the economy or, or um, um, whatever the world says is okay, society. They say it's okay, so it's okay, whatever. Regardless of what people think or believe or how they act, we're still supposed to love them and be kind and respectful. So don't ever think, because, this, <clears throat> because the Bible says that this is living in sin and they're living in sin, that we're supposed to be rude or unmannerly or anything like that at all. It's the opposite, actually. The more we come across sinners, the more loving and kind we're supposed to be. We want people to come to church and hear the Word of God because nobody's going to be changed by us telling them they're doing wrong. Nobody's going to be changed. Well, that's, you're, you're living in sin, so that's wrong. No one's going to say, okay, well, I'll stop because you told me to. No, it doesn't work like that. They come to church, they get fed the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit changes their lives. So I want to point that out. Okay. Here we are, we're step number 10 for your notes, and I hope you're taking notes. If you're not, take notes anyway. Step number 10 is avoid religion. I wanted to bring the whole series into a balance today. Avoid religion. A lot of people get Jesus mixed up with religion. There's a big difference. Um, religion is all about laws and rules and regulations and what you can do and what you can't do. And religion a lot of times can be very cold and legalistic. Now when I say religion, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody in here. I'm not talking about a particular organization. I'm not talking about a particular denomination. I'm talking about when people love legalism so much, they love the rules so much, that they forget all about the people involved. They stop loving people and they love their laws more than they do others around them. And the Bible says in Galatians 2.21, it says, If we can be acceptable to God by obeying the law, then Christ died for nothing. And what I want to do today, I want to kind of give you a deep teaching on a very simplistic level. So it may not be an exciting sermon, but it'll be some deep teaching that you need to know. The word law here is capitalized. Everybody see that? It's not talking about the American law. It's not talking about the Canadian law. It's not talking about the Mexican law. It's talking about the Mosaic Law. Everybody say Mosaic Law. It's called the Mosaic Law because it's the law that God gave to Moses. Good job. Some of y'all paid attention in Sunday school when you were 10 years old. That was a good one. So he gave it to Moses. So here's how it worked. 
Um, God wanted to have a relationship with people, but they were imperfect, so he thought he'd give them some rules, some laws, some commandments. They were simple, ten simple commandments on Mount Sinai. It was all about how to treat people and how to treat God. The commandments are all, there's four that have to do with how to treat God, six have to do with how to treat people. Love God, love people. Simple. But the religious leaders of Moses' day took those ten simple commandments and they turned them into 2,200 fence laws. That's what they call it. Example, um, you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, if I milk my cow, am I working on the Sabbath? If I pull a weed, am I working on the Sabbath? Um, thou shalt not steal. Well, did I, I wasted this person's time. You know, I told them a joke they had already heard before. Did I steal time from them whenever I did that? And that's what it was like. They had ten commandments, and they took them, and they wrote it out, and made it law after law after law, down to the very minute detail. So people spent their waking moments not focused on God. They spent their waking moments focused on themselves. Am I doing this right? Am I doing that wrong? And it was all about like a, almost like a stepladder on how to get closer to God. And they thought, did I worship enough today? And they got closer. Did I, did, I, did I not drink today? And they got up there. And then, did I, did I not smoke today? And they got up the next one. And, um, and did I give enough today? Did I do enough good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds? And their whole life was spent focused on them rather than focusing on God. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but not a single person in here can obey all 2,200 of the fence laws. If you could, you wouldn't need Jesus. Christ died for nothing. In fact... I don't think that y'all can even obey the Ten Commandments. I don't think there's one person in here that has kept all Ten Commandments. I bet you I can prove you. All of y'all are liars. I bet I can prove that much to you right now. Here's how. Pull out your driver's license. Not only are y'all liars, but y'all actually advertise it on your driver's license. Because all you ladies in here most likely lied about your weight on your driver's license. And all you men lied about your height on your driver's license. I guarantee you. If I got a measuring tape and all you men lined up with your driver's license, I bet you all you men are three inches taller on your driver's license than you are in real life. You know, like, well, I was wearing boots that day at the DMV. Yeah. Anyway, so we're all liars. And here's the thing. is, It's not like, well, I didn't kill anybody, so I'm okay. It doesn't, that's one of the nine. If you break one, regardless of which one, you're a law breaker. And so they spent their life, every time they messed up and did wrong, they'd have to sacrifice to get back in relationship with God. Um, sacrifice for them was animals. Today it would look like money. You did wrong, you got to pay for it. You did wrong, you got to pay for it. And this um, caused people to realize, man, we can, it took them 4,000 years actually to finally realize, I don't think we can keep all the laws. I don't think there's one person that can do it all right. And then comes Jesus in the New Testament. So Jesus comes. But do you know in Jesus' day, there were still these law people called Pharisees. And Jesus, got, Jesus did not butt heads with the sinners. He didn't butt heads with the atheists. He didn't even butt heads with the people that were sexually immoral. Remember the lady caught in adultery? He said, I love you, I forgive you, and go sin no more. It wasn't this all the time. It was this with religious people, legalistic people. In Matthew 23, 4, he said, Woe to the scribes, Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites. You make hard laws and put great weights on men, and everything you do is to show off in front of others. What they did was, they did good deeds, they did right things, but not because they loved God. They did it because they thought it was the right thing to do, and it got them closer to God. They had a holier-than-thou attitude. They thought they were better than everybody else. They stopped drinking, and they put themselves higher above everyone else. Stopped smoking, they put themselves higher above everybody else. And this is as far as I'm going, um, spiritually and physically. But anyway, and so they kept thinking... They kept, <laughs> That was funny. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, and so they kept going up, and they, they kept putting, they put themselves on a pedestal. 
look at me. Look at what I've accomplished. Look what I've done in life. And I see a lot of believers do this too. I see people that um, they came to Jesus knowing they were a wretch. They needed salvation. And then Jesus starts to change them and mold them and they break addictions off their life. And then after 20 years, they get this mindset like they did it. They hadn't done nothing. It was all the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so the Pharisees kept teaching the law over and over to try to get to God. Here's what I think is hilarious. The Pharisees did these things to get closer to God, and God was standing five feet away from them the entire time. Isn't that hilarious? God in the form of human, Jesus Christ, was standing five feet away, and instead of focusing on the relationship, it was all about the religion. There are Pharisees in this world and in churches today. They say you can't smoke cigarettes, that's a sin. The same people that say that are gluttons. And the things they eat and the, the Pepsi they drink and all that, they'd be better off smoking a pack of cigarettes than eating some of the stuff they consume every day. Pharisees say you can drink a glass of wine, but you can't have a shot of liquor. And there's a big difference. Show me where that stuff's in the Bible. Well, God just told me that's how it needs to be. I've had people say you can get your ears pierced, but if you pierce your nose or your tongue or your lip, man, God's displeased with that. It's all about they get in society mixed up with God, mixed up with laws and religion, and they do these things they think is pleasing God, and there's no focus on relationship. I have people come up and tell me to my face, you know, you can't get tattooed. The Bible says you shouldn't get tattoos. I said the Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, you should mind your own business. So which scripture do you want to talk about? We'll talk about tattoos, or we'll talk about minding your own business. And this one's in the... <laughs> Help her off the floor. This one's in the New Testament too. So mind your own business. First, I want to get First Thessalonians tattooed on me. First Thessalonians. That would be hilarious. I just thought of that. That is so funny. I'm going to get First Thessalonians 4.11 tattooed dummy. And when somebody says, you know what's the sin to say? I say, look up this scripture, buddy. Mind your own business. That was funny. Okay. When we try to force our convictions on somebody else, we're just as bad as Pharisees are. You have to understand, it's about an individual relationship. It's not about right and wrong rules and regulations. Um, I had a pastor friend years ago, and I admired him so greatly, um, not because of his giftedness, but because of his um, quote-unquote spiritual convictions. He'd come down and visit from up north, and I'd pick him up from the airport and take him to the mall and take him out to eat. And if I went one mile over the speed limit, he would put his hand on my shoulder and say, Brother, you're breaking, you can't do that. You're breaking the law. God's not pleased. You need to drive the speed limit. So I'd pick him up and I'd have my hands on 10 and 2 and I'd be driving the speed limit the whole time. And he brought his Bible with him everywhere he went. I mean, he was so spiritual. So I thought, well, I'm going to do that too. So when he came down, I brought my Bible. I was going to bring two, so I'm more spiritual than him. I brought my Bible everywhere he went. I lost my Bible like three times. Every time he came down, I'd leave it somewhere. <laughs> But we both had our Bibles, and we'd go walking in the mall together, and I'd feel so spiritual. I have no idea why we brought our Bibles with us. We never used it, but we had it with us all the time, and we'd walk around. And um, he was just so spiritual to me. And one day we're in the mall, and he went shopping, and I waited for him in the food court. And when he came back, um, I said, you got what you need? He said, yeah. He said, is this the movie theater? I said, yeah. He said, um, man, let's go see a movie. I said, I love movies. I'm a movie buff. It'll be awesome. And he said, okay, let's go see. And he pointed to a movie that's rated R and is known for its sexuality and nudity. Known for it. So when he said that, I'm convicted about that. I don't care what you do, this is just me personally. And I said, oh, I said, you know, I had something I had to do, a meeting I forgot about. I said, you can go watch the movie and I'll pick you up afterwards. 
As we're conversating, two other guys who I know came walking up. One of them's a youth pastor here in Myrtle Beach. And um, he came up to me and the other guy. And I said, hey, how y'all doing? And I introduced them to the pastor friend and back and forth. And the two guys said, we're going to see a movie. Y'all come with us. And my pastor friend said, what are y'all going to see? And they said, we're going to see. And they named the same movie. And so they're all, you know, saying, and so I was like, oh, I said, you know, I would. Y'all can go. I said, I'll be back later, pick you up. Now, the youth pastor friend of mine, he knew why I didn't want to see that movie. He knew me personally. I'll never forget. He said, John Paul, don't be such a stick in the mud. Just come see the movie. It'll be okay. We're all going to have fun. No big deal. And I don't know if y'all have ever faced peer pressure as adults, but it is real. Man, my face was sweating. I was beat red. I could feel my heart pumping out of my chest. What do I say? I don't want to force my conviction on Him. I don't want to not obey what God's telling me in my heart. What do I do? And I said, you know, I just, um, I said, I got something I got to do. I'm sorry. Y'all can go without me. And the two guys went, and the pastor friend just decided not to, and he came with me. When I got in the car, I drove 80 miles an hour and loved every minute of it. I don't care what he thought of me. I was basing here a relationship with God. I was basing it on some human being. I was living by what he was telling me to do rather than listening to what God was telling me to do. And if I had done that, I would give in to things that I didn't think were right that God told me not to do. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Don't ever think that somebody's more spiritual than you, better than you, because you have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and nothing is more important than that in the whole world. Now, it's so funny, because um, a lot of times when people lead us, or we have spiritual leaders or pastors, we start to put them on a pedestal and think they're great. So I want to say very publicly, if you ever think that I am perfect or even a good person, you are completely deceived and wrong. I need Jesus every single day of my life. I cannot go one hour without relying on Him just to do the things He's asked me to do. So never ever put anybody on a pedestal, including yourself. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10.16, in the New Covenant, in the, He doesn't write the laws on tablets of stone. In the New Covenant, He writes them on your heart and your mind. What's Jesus telling you today? What thoughts is Jesus that you know come from God? Well, God told me that I should be nice to this person. I don't know. I need to pray about it for 10 years. If you know He's telling you, that's God speaking to you. Listen real close. God's dream for our life is not that we keep every commandment. His dream for our life is that we have a deep, healthy relationship with Him. So here's my question. What about the law? Why do we have the Old Testament? What's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? What's the purpose of the 2200 fence laws? Why do we have them? 1 Timothy 1.8 tells us, it says this, We know that the law is good if it's used the right way. We also understand it was not given to control people that please God. It was given to control criminals, godless people, and sinners. It goes on to say the law was written for wicked people, murderers, sexual perverts, those who not struggle with homosexuality, but those who live as homosexuals or kidnappers or liars, it is for anything else that opposes the correct teaching of the good news. Okay, let me say a few things about this, okay? Number one, because I drive over the speed limit, do any of you love me any less? No, okay. If someone falls into this category, it has nothing to do with how much we love them, how well we treat them, we still respect their kind. It's just saying it's a sin. We understand that. Here's what this scripture is telling us. When you go to a kindergarten classroom, you look on the wall and there's rules. It says, don't touch your neighbor. It says, wash your hands after you use the bathroom. It says, don't draw on the wall with crayons. You understand that? 
If you go to Coastal Carolina in one of their classrooms, you do not see those rules on the wall. They don't need those rules because they're grown, they're mature, they're experienced. The law, the Old Testament, it is needed for people who don't have a relationship with God. They need to know the heart of God on black and white. They need to, and here's the interesting thing. Listen, the standard for the New Testament relationship is even a higher standard. The Old Testament says, thou shalt not kill. I believe, you know, we're born into sin, but if you were born on an island and you had no contact with it, there's a lot of things you would not know. Even now, we have to teach our children how to be good and share. You never have to teach a child to say, give me, I want, that's mine. We are born wanting what we want, okay? We're born into sin. And so, um, so the law is for people who don't know the heart of God. The Old Testament says, thou shalt not kill. The New Testament says to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. You understand the difference? Um, Old Testament says, uh, and, and you know, tithing is before the law, after the law. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, that tithing is for baby Christians. It's an easy thing to do. But the New Testament is we all get, we give it all to God. It's all yours, God. You don't you want me to give 10%, 20%? He told some people, give everything you have away. The sta- why would the standard be higher if we can't even do what was in the Old Testament? Here's why. In the Old Testament, we didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, He gives us the, the covenant of grace is what they call it. We have the power to do the things He's calling us to do when He calls us to do them. My relationship with God and your relationship with God is different. He may be talking to me about not watching certain movies. He may be talking to you about speeding. I'm not going to put my conviction on you. You don't put yours on me because we're both walking with Jesus in our own individual relationship. You understand? Okay, let me see what I wanted to say next because I I really enjoy this sermon. Okay, here's the difference between children of God and, and what the Bible refers to as sons and daughters of God. Okay, Remember the children of Israel were given the Mosaic Law? Children, Everybody say children. Okay, uh, and you see children of God through the Bible. Well, in the New Testament, there's a few places where it says sons or sons and daughters of God. And here's the difference, Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You see the difference? In other words, Old Testament says, or, or no, the Bible, I need the rules in the Bible because I know I need to forgive this person. I don't want to, but the Bible says I should forgive. Okay, I know because I love Jesus and we're in relationship I don't have to read 300 scriptures unforgiving. I know i got to forgive others because Jesus forgave me. I know that because He forgives me every day. You see? Um, I don't have to read um, in the scripture that I need to come to church and the Bible says that you should serve. I don't need to know that. Because I love Jesus, I look forward to coming to church. I want to worship with fellow believers. I want to serve. How can I serve more? I don't have to have a sermon on it. I know because Jesus tells me every day. To wash the feet of others and to serve others. It's the relationship. Um, uh, in the Old Testament, whenever he gave Moses the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, Moses had to wear a veil over his face. Everybody say veil. V-I-L for your notes. A veil over his face. The veil, it separates um, us from the presence of God. It separates um, us from intimacy. Intimacy. Moses had to wear the veil because he couldn't look at God because God was so powerful, so bright, so amazing, Moses couldn't get, get that close to him. So he had to wear a veil over his face. Okay? A veil is like um, a few years ago, I think it might have stopped now, but back in the day when a couple got married, the wife had a veil over her face, and at the end of the vows, the husband would lift the veil, and then they'd kiss in intimacy. They could not kiss 
with the veil on. You understand? There wasn't intimacy. There wasn't that, that relationship of marriage did not start until the veil was removed. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, the relationship did not really begin like a marriage until the veil was out of the way. The veil had to be removed. In 2 Corinthians 3, 13-18, it says this, For to this very day their minds and their hearts are covered with the same veil that Moses had to put over his face when the law or the commandments or the rules are read. The veil's only removed when someone's joined. Remember, we're called the bride of Christ. When we're married to Christ, when a person turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. And then all of us with unveiled face are constantly being changed from one degree, from one degree of glory to another. He's changing us, for this comes not from our efforts, not from our strength, not from our climbing up ladder. It comes from God, who is the Spirit. Here's this is saying when you love somebody and there's a relationship, you just it automatically changes you. Um, Micah and I, we had our vows when we got married, and since that day, we've not once reminded ourselves of our vows. You promised you'd be patient. You promised you'd be kind. I know, I promise. I need to write it down and bring it with me everywhere I go so I remember. We spend time together, we talk, we affirm, we serve, and we have a loving relationship. So we want to be good to each other. We want to serve each other. It just comes out we change and grow closer and closer because of the relationship. Obedience is the fruit of a healthy relationship with Jesus, not the means. In other words, you, get to, you, you don't get to Jesus by obeying. You obey because you have a relationship and because you love Him. So, um, I wanted to give you an example of this. Um, I, years ago, I met a dog named Fred. Uh, Fred was a very nasty dog, very nasty. He really loved legs. He lusted after legs. Every day, every night, Fred wanted a leg. I didn't finish. Don't let your minds wander yet. So Fred would bite the legs that he could get a hold of. When the mailman came down the driveway, Fred's mouth was just you know, slobbering, and he ran after that man, and he would grab a hold of his leg. When the milkman came to deliver milk, Fred was right there at the door and he would jump out and grab that milkman's leg. When the UPS man came, Fred would hide behind the bushes just to get a hold of that guy's leg for just a few seconds. It got so bad, Fred's owner had to put a muzzle on him. People were scared to come to Fred's house in fear their leg was going to get bitten. By putting the muzzle on Fred, now he was no longer able to bite legs. Did the muzzle change Fred? Yes or no? No! The muzzle on Fred is what the law is for a person who needs the Holy Spirit in their life. The muzzle actually made Fred's lust worse. Because at least when he was able to bite every now and then, the lust was getting out of him. Now he couldn't even do that and it was twice as strong in his life. Only a relationship with Jesus can truly change somebody's heart. So all this, you telling people you're doing wrong and you're living in sin and this isn't right and this isn't right. Nobody has ever said, you know what, you're so smart. Thank you for telling me that. I think I'm going to do right now. That's not how it works. But I promise you, when you have a relationship with Jesus and you serve and you worship and you give and, and you do these things because you love Him and you spend time and you hear His voice and you meditate on what His Word says and you just praise Him and tell Him how great He is and thank Him for even giving you breath to breathe today, 
He starts to do things in your life and you look back and think, I can't believe how far God's gotten me over the past three years. I can't even believe what He's done in my life. I can't even believe it. Um, whenever Jesus died on the cross, one of the main things that happened, there was a temple where they would go to worship God. It was, let's say it was like this building. And if you picture like a Broadway play where there's a huge curtain in between the stage and the people, God would dwell up here on the stage part because they couldn't, they could, again, there couldn't be an intimate relationship. He was too perfect, too powerful. And there was this huge curtain, so you couldn't even see through there. They called it the veil, V-E-I-L. They called it the veil in the temple. And the people would come and worship over here, and God would dwell in here and then go back up. His spirit would come down and come up from heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, something amazing happened. All of a sudden, when he hung his head and died and went into hell and fought death, hell, and the grave, Matthew 27, 5 says, At that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that people can now go to God on their own through a relationship with Jesus. The Pharisees despised this. They like being the teacher of the law and telling people what they should do. They want people to come to them. And every time they're hurting, they want someone to come and cry to them. And every time somebody's in need, they want them to come to them. And every time somebody needs to hear from God, they want them to come to them. They would have never liked our core value, art. We respect. Pharisees don't like that because Pharisees want to dictate to you what God says. But we know that you can go to God anytime you want to. You don't need me. You don't need anybody else. You can have a relationship with God the Father through His Son Jesus. Here's the point. The latter is not for us to get to God. The latter was for God to send Jesus to us. That's the point of the latter. Um, there was a guy in the New Testament named Zacchaeus. And uh, he was a wicked sinner, rich guy, good at what he did, stole, cheated, lied, that kind of thing. And I'm sure for years, because everyone in town knew him, I'm sure people told him all the time, you're doing wrong. You're a cheater, you're a liar, you're a thief. You're not doing right, you need to change your ways. I'm sure they told him, and I'm sure he wanted to be good and wanted to do the right thing, but he couldn't do it. So in Luke 19.3, he heard Jesus was coming to town, and it says that he climbed up the ladder to be able to see Jesus. In other words, the ladder represents our strength. It represents what we do on our own. It represents us trying to get to God by these religious things. Zacchaeus, once again, he positioned himself above everybody else, put himself on a pedestal, let everybody know, hey, look at me, look how far I've come in my own strength. Jesus came walking by amidst a thousand people, and in verse 5, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said this, you got to come down. If you want me to spend time with you at your house, he didn't say church, he didn't say a restaurant, it was intimate. I want to spend time with you in your home, but here's what you got to do, you got to come down off the ladder, you got to come down. Jesus was saying, I want to change you. I want to do great things in your life. I want to make you into something new, but you got to come down from all these things that you're doing just because you think it's the right thing or somebody's, or whatever the case is. You got to get down and be real with me, Zacchaeus. You got to be open. You got to tell me that you love me, that you want me to change you. You got to let me do it for you. In verse 6, Zacchaeus hurried up, came down, welcomed Jesus. Now, something happened from verse 6 to verse 8. Everything changed. Everything. In one verse. What did not happen, Jesus did not say, okay, Zacchaeus, I got some commandments I need to go over with you. First one is this. First, second one is that. You need to, if you're really messing up on this one, fourth, oh, you got to stop watching those movies. You got to stop speeding. You can't be eating this. You definitely need to stop smoking. And oh, man, that liquor's okay, but I don't know about You can't. All this guy, he didn't go over that. 
They just spent time together and hung out and ate together. And in the very next scripture, Zacchaeus said, hey, Jesus, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give back four times as much. Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. So here's what I'm telling you. Sooner or later, you've got to come down off your ladder. No matter how high you climb, our ladders can only take us so far. You can try and try and try and try. But you'll get, I don't care if you get up to 2,199. You're going to fail before you get to 2,200. You're not perfect. You can't do it. You have to have a relationship with God the Father. So here's what I want to do. We're going to close with communion in a second. But I want to show you my favorite video of all time. It's about a father and son named Richard and Rick Hoyt. In 1962, uh, Rick, the son, was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his head. And um, since the day he was born, he's been unable to speak and unable to walk. In spite of his um, difficulties, his parents did everything they could to try to give him a normal life. They even sent him to school. When he got in school, miraculously, they realized that in spite of being able to walk and talk, he was actually brilliant. So brilliant that some scientists back in the 70s created a computer for him to be able to communicate through moving his eyes. That's how brilliant this guy was. And uh, they hooked it up to him. He was 15 years old. Um, he, in school that day, he realized that there was a, a kid that got hurt in the football game the week before, and the kid became paralyzed. And they were having a five-mile run to sponsor that kid that was paralyzed. So Rick comes home from school. They hook up the computer, and the first thing he said was this, with his eyes, he told the computer, I want to run in that five-mile race for the other kid. Here's the problem. He can't even walk. How's he going to run? So his father, who is not an athlete, decided to train for a few weeks, and he pushed his son in that five-mile race. After the race was over, they hooked the computer back up to him, and here's what he said. I've never felt more alive in my entire life as when we were running in that race. He even said we, like he was doing some of it. So, his father, not an athlete, older gentleman, decided to train and train and train. To this day, the father and son have run 66 marathons, 229 triathlons. Triathlon is two miles of swimming, 26 miles of running, and 112 miles of bicycling. This is a picture of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus.